Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Can we get it up for Kelsey Morgan? I just, I love getting to see those every week, and I hope that you're loving them as much as me. And, and if you see Kelsey, go out of your way to say uh, thank you for all the ways that she serves our church. Uh, my name is Joel Trainer, and I get to be the pastor here. And one of the things about Three Creeks is that we, we're pretty much perfect at everything, if you haven't figured this out yet. Like parking, like we make sure that it's so easy for you to park, and then we make sure that the temperature in here is perfect for you to enjoy just kidding. <laughs> uh, I hope that this uh, message is short and entertaining just enough that it warms you and we can endure this together. And then I hope uh, that you come over tonight for a picnic at our house and we'll show you a good time to make up for the chilly atmosphere in the room. All right. Uh, I'll say this, Brandon, what he just shared between song three and four is, is he just kind of asking like, hey, what's God putting on your heart? What is he talking to you about recently, and, and for me, when he says, is there anything that you need to surrender, it, it's uh, in my experience with the Lord and in my faith journey is that God is a nudger, he's a prompter, and if you don't listen, he ends up being a little bit more of a pusher or a shover, and in my experience, when God puts something on my heart to give to him to surrender, he usually keeps it there until I obey, and so when, when Brandon asked that, what I thought of, it wasn't the first time I've thought of that. It was something that God's been bringing in my mind recently. And so I want to ask you again, like, what was that thing that came to mind? And has God been nudging you? And is he, is he to the point where he wants to push or shove you into taking your step? One of the things that, that we say a lot around here is that wherever you're at on your spiritual journey and you're on one, that you're welcome in our church. And when we call it a journey, that implies that we're kind of going somewhere. We're taking steps towards something. And what I see all through the Bible is that God is essentially always pushing us or nudging us in another step of obedience. And so my question to start today's message, it's the same question that I'm going to end the message here in a little bit is, what is the step that God is asking you to take? And the beauty of that question is that there's probably 125 different answers in this room. That God is oftentimes moving me to do something that is different than what he's moving you to do. And so it's a, it's a great question to start with. I'll just warn you now, today's message is pretty simple. It is not, I wouldn't say, theologically profound. I have no Greek words to translate for you today. But a lot of times what I need the most in my walk is somebody to ask me some simple questions. And I am, I am, I've been praying that, and I, I'm full of faith that, that some people in here are just going to take their next step, and that's it. That they're going to take their next step in their journey, and wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, we're fired up that you're here with us today. So let me pray for us, and I'll get into today's story. Lord, we just want to hear the simple things today. Whatever the step is that you have been nudging us towards recently, Father, I pray that today would be the day that we take it 
that we wouldn't keep dragging our feet and that we wouldn't keep waiting because we're worried that we would just take it and just see what you have on the other side. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in a series called Heroes You Haven't Heard Of. And so in this series, we're highlighting different Bible characters that you may never have heard of before. And this morning's hero is the same. It's somebody that maybe a portion of you will raise your hand and say, I've heard of that story, but my guess is that maybe you've never heard a sermon or a message given about this person. So in this series, there's no Moses, there's no Noah, there's no David. We're talking about people that are more obscure, that are hidden away. And one of the things that I've, I've mentioned, at least every time that I've been up here during this series, is that these people, if they knew that we were highlighting them, they would leave the church. They would say, this is not about me. This is about what God did in me and through me. And so as I show you this hero today, I want you to know that this is not about them. It's what God did in them and through them that I want you to take away the most. I also, before I keep going, need to say that I'm just so thankful that we've got a bunch of people in this church that can teach and preach the Word of God. And so for Cody and for Erica, the last couple of weeks, it is good for the pastor of a church to sit underneath the teaching of God's Word. And so uh, to get to listen to Cody in the podcast and get to sit back here and, and hear Erica teach last week is so healthy for our whole church. And so I just want to thank them publicly for stepping in and doing that. And today we're going to be in Acts chapter uh, 8. And what I usually do when I get to teach on Sundays is I'll kind of go one verse at a time. What I want to do today is I want to read you the whole story right out the gate, and then I want to go back and highlight a couple things that we are going to kind of read together. So Acts chapter 8, the first verse is verse 26. We're talking about a guy who is commonly known as the Ethiopian eunuch, the eunuch from Ethiopia. And the, the step of faith that he takes is amazing. And what I want to do is I want to read this story, and I need you to put your Sherlock Holmes hat on just for a minute, and I want you to try to pay attention to all of the little details as I read this story. I'll go slow enough so that you can remember for at least a little bit for the context where they were at and, and what they were sitting on and what they were reading and, and where they were going. All these details matter as we look at this guy referred to as the Ethiopian eunuch. So verse 26, and we're going to go all the way through verse 40. Here's the story. As for Philip, and I'm going to tell you about him in a minute. An angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning to Ethiopia. Seated in his carriage, or his chariot, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. So Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch replied, how can I? Unless someone instructs me. And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. And the passage of scripture he had been reading aloud was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, 
And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not even open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was this prophet Isaiah, was he talking about himself or was he talking about somebody else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news of Jesus. And as they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? What is stopping me from being baptized right now? And he ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away And the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus, and he preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. So I read that story, and and there's, you know, there's some really amazing things about that story about, you know, Philip hearing from the angel of the Lord, and then Philip being snatched away, and the eunuch never seeing him again. There's, there's some miraculous parts to this story, but then there's also some unbelievably relatable parts to this story. This is a story that you can fit yourself into and go, you know, I, I could probably do that like they did that. Like, I don't know if you could snatch, snap your fingers and get snatched away, but there's a lot that happens here that you could go, man, I, I could do what he did. And so what I did, I just went through this story, and I, make, I made eight observations that I think that you can relate to. Here's the first one. Here's the first thing that I observe about the Ethiopian eunuch in this story. Number one, he seemingly had it all together. He seemingly had it all together. I mean, he's rich. He has authority. He has a great job. He's in Ethiopia, which is a pretty big kingdom at the time. He has a chariot. He's got an entourage. And according to the world standards, he kind of has it all together. Now, maybe you can't relate in the sense that you don't have a political position of authority, but one of the ways that I can relate to the Ethiopian eunuch is that I, too, seemingly, compared to most of the world, seemingly, I do kind of have it all together. And so do pretty much all of us. I'm talking about on the outside, not on the inside. And if you're anything like me, there is a temptation to try to cocoon myself from risk and cocoon myself from volatile life circumstances. Because my goal is to get the to-do list done and get the bills paid and just don't rock the boat. And, And if I could have total control and if my life could be in order, in some ways, I'm actually targeting an easy, comfortable life where I actually have not created room where I actually need God to do anything for me. I've had conversations with people in this church where I go, how are you doing in your faith? And they respond pretty well. If I'm being honest, I don't feel like I need God on a daily basis. And I go, me too. And in fact, sometimes I'm even pursuing that life. I I have insurance for everything. And and we kind of pursue these lives that are tidy and controlled just like the Ethiopian eunuch, he seemingly kind of had it all together. What, what, 
what does, what does he have a need to go to Jerusalem for? But in his most honest moment, if you were to ask him, hey, how are you doing? On the surface, it appears as though everything is fine. But in, a, in his most honest moment, deep inside of his heart, he goes, there's something missing. And so he takes the 800-mile journey from Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem to go and try to worship God. Because when you're in Ethiopia at this point in history, there are rumors of God. There are rumors of this Jewish Yahweh, of this God. And this Ethiopian eunuch is curious enough. Maybe he's tried everything else. Nothing seems to be able to fit this, fill this hole in his life. He goes, I got to go see if that's it. I got to go see if God is the real deal. So he takes an 800-mile journey up to Jerusalem, essentially asking the question, will anything fill this hole? Will anything fulfill me? And he takes a trip up there. Number two, the Ethiopian eunuch, it, the, the story doesn't say this, but I think if I give you the context, I think you'll, you'll agree with me. The Ethiopian eunuch, excuse me, gets hurt by the church or by God's people. Because this is what would have happened. When you read that, that verse, the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. He may have gone to Jerusalem to worship, but he did not get to worship like the Jews did. Because he was a eunuch. And if you were a eunuch, that means that you can't have babies. You can't have a family. And there are three different reasons why somebody would become a eunuch. One, perhaps a eunuch could be born that way. Two, perhaps a eunuch would choose that life. But three, and very likely in this scenario, he was forcibly made a eunuch. Probably in his youth. They probably tabbed him as somebody, hey, we're going to put you as the treasure of Ethiopia, so you're going to be around the queen. We're going to curb your enthusiasm, if you will. And we're going to make sure that there's no temptation and that you cannot build an empire. And so they, they forcibly make him a eunuch. And now, in some circles, he's got this position of power, but in public circles, he's mocked. He's made fun of. He's ostracized. So not only is he a eunuch, but he's also a Gentile. He's from Ethiopia. And so if a Gentile comes into Jerusalem going, I want to check out God, the Pharisees and the Jewish, even the Christians at that time are going, well, you have to stay in the outer courts. We, because we're Jewish and we were born this way, and because we're not eunuchs, we can come in here into the inner courts and we can worship God, but you need to stay out there. Even though he was powerful, that would have been the rule. And so he leaves Jerusalem and returns home. He may have gone there to worship, but he's rejected by prideful people who are standing on their old rules and traditions, and he's got to go home. And I just, I read that and I thought, anybody else ever been hurt by God's people? Anybody else ever been hurt or stiff-armed by a church? Not because of your behavior, but just because of who you are just because of your past. But, the, but credit to this guy, the third observation is that he still chooses to seek God. So in other words, he doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. He says, man, God's people are not very inclusive, but I'm not going to give up on this whole thing just because they said that. I'm going to keep seeking God. And somehow this guy gets his hands on a scroll from the prophet Isaiah, which would have been so expensive. 
and so rare at this time. These things aren't floating around like holy Bibles like we have. This is, this is a scroll. And somehow this guy gets his hands on it and he buys it and he's riding back to Ethiopia, continuing to seek God even though God's people just said, you're out. And he's reading from the prophet Isaiah in his chariot out loud, which would not have, it would not have been uncommon at the time. And Philip gets sent to go and meet with him. Now, let me tell you about Philip for a minute. Philip is one of those heroes that you, you may, you know, if, if God had kind of changed, I mean, Philip could have been in the Hall of Fame of the Bible, is what I'm trying to say, if, maybe if he hadn't been obedient to God. Because Philip was on his way to disciple greatness. He was like an up-and-coming megachurch pastor. He is preaching the gospel in this place called Samaria, and they're doing miracles and wonders, and hundreds and thousands of people are coming to know Jesus. And Philip is on his way to the top. Philip is one of the original disciples. I mean, this guy has got all the tools to become a famous Christian. And God says to him, an angel of the Lord says to him, the Spirit leads him, go down to this desert road. And at the time, Philip has got to be thinking, what? I've got a good thing going here, God. Don't you want me to keep doing what you're doing here? Can't you see all that I'm doing? And God says, go down. I want you to essentially meet one person. And Philip's going, this is not a strategic move, God. Leave me here with the masses, with my big church. But God, because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and because his ways are higher than our ways, and because he's a lot more strategic than we are, God knows that if Philip can go and share the good news with this one person on this one road down to Ethiopia, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually going to go to Africa. And if you fast forward about 2,000 years to today, 44% of Christians live in Africa. That's amazing if you zoom out and look at what God was doing in this moment. He, God plucks Philip from what he thinks is a big deal and says, I've got way bigger plans for you than what you think have, you have going on. So Philip goes and he meets him on, uh, on the road and, and Philip runs up to the chariot and he hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading out loud from the book of Isaiah. He's just reading it. And Philip asks him an unbelievable, unbelievably simple question. He goes, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless someone instructs me? So observation number four is that he doesn't understand what the Bible says. And to that I can relate. Raise your hand if you're with me, ever. Right? I mean, the Bible is full of history and poetry and letters and all kinds of different forms of literature that at times I read it and go, this is, this is not making a lot of sense to me. But instead of giving up, instead of saying, this is bananas, I mean, the question that he asks proves that he doesn't have a clue. In a second, the Ethiopian is going to ask, is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? Well, to us, we go, of course he's talking about Jesus. But this, it proves that this guy really has no idea. But he doesn't give up. He doesn't say, well, I can't understand this, and so I'm just going to put this scroll over. He continues to try to seek God, and somebody needed to hear that today. Even more impressive than continuing to read, and even more impressive 
than continuing to seek God, observation number five is that he is not afraid to admit that he doesn't understand the Bible. I'm just telling you that so often what hinders us from growing in our knowledge of the Bible or of God or a relationship deepening with God is this facade that we put up that we know more than we actually do. And, and I'm just, I'm just got to be, <laughs> I got to be real honest for a minute. I have this all the time. I mean, as a pastor especially, I've got to put on this front that I haven't figured out. If you have a spiritual question, I'm supposed to be the one that has the answer. And I'm ashamed to admit how many times I Google things when you guys ask me questions. I mean, really, I, I, I know how to tiptoe my way out of those conversations with you still thinking that I'm smart. I figured out how to do that. And it, there's a great temptation to appear as though we actually know more than we actually do. I can, I can remember a conversation that I had with a pastor that I respect and look up to, and we were having this kind of debate on this theological topic, and, and he said to me, Joel, I'm just, I gotta be honest, I'm concerned with your hermeneutics. I went, my hermeneutics? And I, I'm, I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, what do I say? How do I get out of this one? Should I be concerned with his hermeneutics or should I throw it back at him? I, I don't even know. I'm like, how can I sneak to the bathroom and Google this? You know what I'm saying? And, and I just have this temptation to just kind of sit back and go, well, that's, that's your thought, you know? <laughs> I, I, remember, I remember being in my, uh, <laughs> I hope this part isn't being recorded and being listened to, my, listened to by my superiors, but I remember um, sitting in my, ordination exam with our family of churches <laughs> and somebody uh, in the test said all right it's time to move on from Christology we're going to move on to soteriology and I was like we're moving on to what like I had no idea I'm just like please let this question not include the word soteriology I don't even know how to say it and in the test I was like oh yeah let's move on to that it's my favorite topic you know and <laughs> And it's just, there's this temptation to appear. And let me just tell you how refreshing it is to talk to somebody who's honest about where they're at. Man, I talk, there's, there's a number of, of families that are choosing to follow Christ together as a family, but maybe they didn't grow up in a Christian home. And they're here in our church. And the kids are coming home from church and they're asking mom and dad questions. They're telling mom and dad stories. And the mom and dad have never heard them before. And when they come to my community group and they recount these things, and they go, we've learned through our children, that is humility. And that is the first step towards starting to learn more. Acting like we know it all is the first step to stopping your growth. I, and you know, the... the Maybe an even bigger temptation than being a new Christian and, you know, beginning to learn things. Maybe a bigger temptation is maybe you've been in church your whole life and you still don't know. And, and I'm just telling you, there's some people in our church who have told me, I just feel like I wasn't listening for 25 years. I grew up in church. I should know all this stuff, but I just don't know all this stuff. And I think that is incredible humility. It is so refreshing. And it would, it would help all of us to become comfortable to say, 
I'm not sure what that means. Could somebody explain that to me? And that's what the Ethiopian eunuch does. Even though he's, he is supposed to know it all, he's the treasure of Ethiopia. He says, how can I, unless somebody explains it to me? He's not afraid to admit that he doesn't know what it is. Observation number six is that he decides to follow Jesus. Simple. He decides to believe in Jesus. In your Bibles, if you're actually looking at it, you'll, if you're paying real close attention, Sherlock Holmes, you'll see that verse 36 skips straight to verse 38. And then at the bottom of the page in italics is verse 37. And it says that it was added in some manuscripts a little bit later on, which means it probably wasn't, it wasn't in the original writing of Acts. It was added in to provide context for the whole story. Now, it doesn't mean it wasn't true, and the, the beauty of it is that it doesn't contradict anything else in the Bible. And so we can believe that it's true. It's, it's, uh, it's in sync with the rest of the Bible. But verse 37 says this, Philip said, he, they're talking about getting baptized. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. You can get baptized. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Philip shares that this, this scroll that Isaiah wrote 600 years ago, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about a future Messiah. He's saying he's talking about Jesus. And Philip uses this passage to present the gospel that every person is born a sinner and every person is born needing saved. And Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And if you believe in him, he can do that. He can save you. So Philip lays this out, and he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in that moment, the Ethiopian eunuch is saved. And this is different than, this is important, this is different than believing in God. It's different than believing that there's a higher power being a Christian is believing that Jesus is the Son of God and that he did die and that he did resurrect and that he does save you from your sins. That is the belief of a Christian. And so no one is born believing that. This is important. No one is born with that belief. We are born with a sinful nature bent to not believe that. And so if I were to ask you, I'm just trying to help, when did you become a Christian? The answer, well, I've always been one, isn't true. It can't be true. No one has always been a Christian. I was born a Christian. No, you weren't. Nobody was. We become a Christian when we believe in Jesus, when we make a decision to believe that. No one morphs into it without knowing you have either decided to believe in Jesus or you have not. And that is the line between being a Christian and not being a Christian. It is belief that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and notice, too, here, here's one of my favorite things about that. Notice that the Ethiopian eunuch does not seem to have a list of 50 other theological questions that he has to figure out first before he believes in Jesus. And I talked to some people who and they want to make a decision, but they're like, I don't know, 
this one part of the Bible, it just kind of confuses me. So I don't think I can. And it's like, man, we can get to that. And that is so important. And we can talk about that. But when it comes down to it, this Ethiopian eunuch goes, I want to believe in Jesus. I want to be baptized. And Philip says, yes, you may. Yes. Let's make the decision to put our faith in Jesus and go from there. Let's not wait till we have it all figured out. You never will. We're always going to have questions this side of heaven. And so put your faith in Jesus. And he does it. Here's verse 7. He cho- or excuse me, observation number 7. He chooses to be baptized. He's not forced into it. He just chooses to be baptized. Look at verse 36. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. He's just going, why not right now? And, and, and when I read that, I thought, man, that seems like a rash decision, Ethiopian eunuch. Shouldn't you have invited your family? You know, that seems quick. I went to, or one time I was preaching at Movement Church while we were in the process of building our launch team for this church about five and a half years ago. And, you know, I'd get a chance every two or three months to preach and uh, movement was so generous even letting me do that and then afterwards there was kind of this you know if you are interested in going to Gehanna and planting three creeks then Joel will be over here on the side you can go talk to him so I get done service is over I walk over there and a young man by the name of Lucas Carley and some of you guys know who that is walked over to me and he said I'm in and I'm like I don't believe you you know that seems pretty rash (laughs) and he said no he said I'm in God wants me to do this. I said, are you sure? And he said, I just try to make decisions when I'm on spiritual highs. And my first thought was, ah, yikes, that makes me nervous. You know what I mean? I don't know if you should do that anymore, you know? And, and then I thought, well, what's the alternative? Make a decision when you're spiritually low? Make a decision when you're feeling extra spiritually responsible? I thought, I love that advice. When I recount the times that I have made a decision, a a quick step of obedience, when I was feeling like God was moving in my life, I don't regret those. Those were the starts of some of the most amazing God experiences of my whole life where I've seen him like I never have in other ways. And I, I thought, I love that advice. Make decisions when you're on spiritual highs. I, this Ethiopian eunuch is on a spiritual high. His, his eyes have been opened to the truth of God's word for the first time in his life. And he goes, well, then I may as well get baptized. And at first it's like, man, that seems quick. But it's, unbel- it's a great decision. It's a great decision. And that, that doesn't mean that we don't pray. That doesn't mean we don't take our time. It doesn't mean that we don't seek wisdom and we don't seek advice. But it does mean that a lot of times when we say that we're going to do that, we really are kind of creating time to talk ourselves out of it. Right? We're creating space for worry or fear or common sense to sneak in and go, God didn't really want you to do that. 
And how often has that happened to you? Where you're feeling led to give or led to serve or led to start, led to stop, whatever that is. And you go, ah, think about it this week. And you never get around to it. And I just think, man, what Lucas Carley said to me, I think he's onto something. I think he's taking a page out of this guy's book. Just do it. Baptism, by the way, every single time that baptism is mentioned in the New, in the New Testament, it's always somebody who's making a decision to be baptized. Nobody's ever being forced into it. And it's always a post-salvation experience. It's not the salvation experience. It's always afterwards. And so if you look, you know, Google the word baptism and find it all in the New Testament, it's always when someone has already put their faith in Jesus and then baptism is the post-salvation party, if you will. Jesus, right before he ascended into heaven, had some parting instructions. He said, go, make disciples of all nations and baptize them. So baptism has become this Christian sacrament that every single person that's become a Christian gets to do. Doesn't have to do, but gets to do. And when Peter is sharing the gospel for the first time with the whole world after Jesus went to heaven... They, you know, Peter shares the gospel and what Jesus did, and he died for you, and he rose again, and he ascended into heaven, and the people go, what do we do now? How do we respond to this news? Peter says, repent, believe, and be baptized. That's the, that's the first simple instructions that he gives to all the Christians. And so I guess I would ask you, if you are a Christian, have you been baptized? And if you haven't been baptized, Maybe I would suggest that you ask the same question that the Ethiopian eunuch asked. Can we do that right now? Should I do that? We could do that in the dunk tank this afternoon. And I'm actually not kidding. I, I was thinking about it and I go, we've got a baptism service lined up for September 4th. It's Labor Day weekend. We do church at the creek. We've had people get baptized in years past. The pictures look amazing. You have time to invite your family. And there's a part of me that wants to be like, man, I want to kind of save all the baptisms for that day. You know what I mean? And then I thought, well, but then I would be kind of going against what this guy did. So I'm actually dead serious. If somebody wants to get baptized this afternoon in the dunk tank, let's do it. Let's publicly profess that you are a follower of Jesus by being baptized in the dunk tank. Talk about a photo op. That would be unbelievable. Right? We'll video it and send it to everybody you love. All right. Here's the last one. And, and originally when I wrote this message, uh, this is where it ended. It was going to be this baptism thing. I was going to talk about it and then and kind of be done. But then there was one more thing that jumped out at the very end of this story. I wonder if you noticed it. it uh, Jess, will you go to the last... Um, yeah, go to the last two verses back in the story. Here, I'll read it. I'll read it here. Jess, when I read the story from the very beginning, the last slide of that whole passage. There it is, right there. Perfect. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And that, at first reading, was the part of that verse that was like, whoa, I did not expect that to happen. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. This eunuch 
think about this. He's riding down the road. He's reading Isaiah. What does this mean? Some man runs up and goes, do you understand it? No, how could I understand it? Hop up in the chariot and tell me all about it. He shares the gospel. He gets baptized. You want to talk about a spiritually high moment. You almost expect the story to be like, and Philip and this guy were friends forever. They stayed in touch. They wrote letters to each other. Philip, or the eunuch, never saw him again. He probably thought, did I dream that? Did I make that up? But despite the fact that he never sees him again, he went on his way rejoicing. So the last observation is that he rejoices because of Jesus. He does not rejoice because Philip was awesome. And his faith does not hang on Philip at all. See if you can follow me here to the end. His faith doesn't hang on Philip at all. All. He never sees him again. But he goes on his way rejoicing because of what Jesus had did in his life. And I think from time to time, if you're anything like me, I have put my faith in a pastor even more than Jesus. Where I actually get more interested in going to listen to somebody else talk about God than going just straight to God himself. And I have put my faith, if you will, in a podcast over Jesus, where if an issue comes up and I wanna know what I'm supposed to think about that issue, the first thing I do is go see if that person has said anything about it, rather than first going straight to God. I'm just, I know for sure that if our faith begins to rest on any other person or any other church or any other message, I'm sure that it will let us down. I'm sure of it. I know I will. I know this church will. But like this Ethiopian eunuch, he goes away not rejoicing because he met an awesome guy. He goes away rejoicing because he has newfound faith in Jesus. And so all of his hope and all of his peace and all of his joy, it rests on Jesus and only Jesus. Because this guy, pretty early on in his walk with the Lord, has already figured out that everything else is going to let him down. I mean, Philip just leaves him like that. Never, never sees him again. So we can't rely on Philip. But he rejoices because of Jesus. Here's the last question. It's what I started with and what I'll end with. As you think about this guy's life, as you think about this Ethiopian eunuch, we just kind of get a glimpse of it for just really a snapshot of this guy's life. But just in these 12 verses, you see God urging people to take steps of faith. You see Philip being urged to go and to meet with him on the road. You see the eunuch originally urged to go try to worship in Jerusalem. And then he's prompted at some point when he's in Jerusalem to pick up a scroll of Isaiah. And the Lord moves him on his way home. I imagine, I don't really like reading that much. Maybe he did, but he, he ends up reading a, a bunch of stuff that he doesn't even understand, but God kind of just keeps it on him. He keeps it on him and he keeps urging him. He keeps nudging him. He's reading it, doesn't understand it. Philip walks up to the chariot. He lets him get in the chariot. 
Philip explains the gospel to him. He puts his faith in Jesus and he immediately gets baptized. And so you see this whole story is just both of these guys just taking these step after step after step as God moves, as God nudges, as God pushes. And so the question that I have for you today to close, or I guess the statement and then the question is that God is essentially always asking us to take steps. It's a spiritual journey with him. So the question is, what step does God want you to take? It's really simple. It's, it's not complicated. And my guess is that maybe this step that God might be nudging you to take was already on your mind for the last couple days or the last couple weeks. It's not something that's totally brand new. It's something that you came in here with and God just kind of putting it on your heart again. Is it to join a team here at Three Creeks? You've thought about it. You know it'd probably be good for you, good for relationships, make this place feel like home. Is it to join a team on a Sunday morning? Is it to join a community group? Those are gonna start here before you know it in September. Is it to right now just say, I'm in. I'm gonna join a group. That's gonna be how I grow with this church family. Is it to start giving for the first time? Maybe you've been around for a while and you're like, I'm going to get to that, but things are tight, but God's just kind of putting it on you a little bit over and over, and it's this nudge, it's this push, just to, to give to the mission of the Lord through our church. Maybe it's to be baptized. Maybe that's the part of this message that just jumped out, jumped off the page, where you're going, I am a Christian, and I want to be baptized. It's been something that's been on my heart for a while. If that's you, what are you waiting for? Just do it. And maybe, maybe there's somebody in here who you've just kind of been on the fence and that, that hurt by church people thing was actually the part that jumped off the most because that's the feeling that you can relate to the most. Where you just feel like because of your past or, or because of some mistakes you made or whatever that the church and God's people have just kind of stiff-armed you and you've just said, well, forget it then. Maybe that's why you're kind of on the fence. And maybe the message to you today is this. It's that to become a Christian is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's it. That's it. And maybe the step that God wants you to take is just to say that out loud and to make that decision today. And that the answer that you've given in the past well, I've always been a Christian or I grew up Christian. Maybe you just kind of wipe that one out from your vocabulary and say, no, this is when I decided, this is when I took my step to become a Christian for the first time. Maybe that's you. Again, the beauty of that question is that there's 125 different answers. And we're gonna sing a couple really just choruses, I think. And during that time, giving you another 30 seconds or another two minutes or so to think about what that step is for you and and I'm, I'm asking you as your pastor to not give yourself a week to think about it and give yourself time to talk yourself out of it if God wants you to take a step just do that just do it maybe the step for somebody in here is just to go back during these two songs and pray with somebody in the back we have a prayer team back there every single Sunday. 
we would love to pray with you. I'll be back there. Eichen's back there. There'll be some others. Maybe this step is just to stand up and go, I just need to pray about this. That'd be a big step. Let me pray for you. Lord, whatever steps you want us to take, would you help us have the courage to take them? Father, would you help us from giving into the temptation of needing to make everything in our life and every decision reasonable and rational. God, so often you work outside of that. You, you ask us to do things that don't make sense, that are uncommon, that are different. And if you're asking anyone in here to do that, Lord, would you help them to take that step? Father, if you're prompting anybody to be baptized, I pray that you would press that on their hearts. And whether it's today or a few weeks from now, Father, would you help them to take that step specifically? Thank you for your word. Thank you for people like this Ethiopian eunuch who put his faith in you out of nowhere. Nobody expected this guy to become a Christian. But you reached down and you snagged him and you drew him under yourself and he will be in heaven and so will I. And that is amazing news. And so in that, I pray for anybody in here who is on the fence in their faith. Father, that you would draw them unto yourself just like you drew this man unto yourself. And even though they don't have all the answers figured out and, and won't, that they would take that step and they would say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So whatever the steps are, Lord, would you give us the courage to take them? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com. Thank you.